0: Our Bible reading today shall be taken from Job. Chapter 2, verse 11 to 13. When Job's three friends, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Nematite, heard about all the troubles that had come upon him, They set out from their homes and met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. When they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. They began to weep aloud, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights no one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. Chapter 6, verse 8 to 10. Oh, that I might have my request that God would grant what I hope for, that God would be willing to crush me, to let loose his hands and cut off my life. Then I will... I will still have this consolation, my joy in unrelenting pain, that I had not denied the words of the Holy One. Chapter 9, verse 32 to 35. He is not a mere mortal like me, that I might answer him, that we might confront each other in court. If only there were someone to mediate between us, someone to bring us together. Someone to remove God's rod from me, so that his terror will frighten me no more, but as it is as it stands now, with me I cannot. Chapter eleven verse one to eight. Then Zophar the Nematite replied Are all these words to go unanswered? Is this stalker to be vindicated? Will your idle talk reduce to silence? Will no one rebuke you when you mock? You say to God, My beliefs are flawless and I am pure in your sight. Oh, how I wish that God would speak, that he would open his lips against you and disclose to you the secrets of wisdom, for true wisdom has two sides. Know this. God has even forgotten some of your sin. Can you fathom the mystery of God? Can you probe the limits of the Almighty? They are higher than the heavens above. What can you do? They are deeper than the depths below. What can you know?
1: Oh, good morning, everyone. It's good to be able to share with you this morning. For those uh, who don't know me, my name is James, and uh, my family and I have been a part of Shadon Church for the past eight years, and we actually will be leaving soon. We're going to move back uh, to our home country of Scotland uh, in about one month's uh, time. And so I just wanted to take... This opportunity, before we uh, jump into God's Word, just to express our thanks uh, for your friendship uh, and your support in many different ways over those last eight years uh, to my family. Uh, You've been very generous, uh, not only to us, but also to the ministries that we're involved in, and we really have appreciated that. As many of you are aware, my my wife, Kirsty, is in hospital this weekend, and so I do thank you for your prayers uh, and help uh, for us in that as well. Uh, as was mentioned during the prayer, we are hopeful that she will be able to be discharged this afternoon and will be able to come home. Uh, so we're thankful for that. Do value your ongoing prayers uh, for our transition back to Scotland. We'll be moving into a new uh, type of ministry with our same organization. Uh, but yeah, we, before we came to Hong Kong, we lived in North China for eight years. And so it's, it's been over 15 years since we really... We're settled in the UK, and it will be a lot of change and transition for us. So, do uh, appreciate your prayers for that. We're going to be uh, continuing our series in Job this morning, and uh, if you have a Bible on, on your phone or in paper, I do encourage you to keep it open. We're going to be jumping around uh, various different verses uh, in the book of Job. Uh, if you uh, have a pen and paper, you might like to jot some of them down as we we go along, but. Uh, As we come to look at this, let me first uh, pray. Let's pray together. Our Father God, we thank you that you have given us your word in the scripture, in the Bible. Thank you that we do not need to stumble in the dark to to guess what sort of God you are. But I thank you that you have revealed yourself to us. Uh, And so... I thank you for this book of Job. I thank you for the things that it has to teach us. And I pray uh, this morning as we look at it together that you would guide us by your Holy Spirit, that you would use uh, my weak words, and that you would help us to come away with a greater understanding of who you are, that we might know you better, and that we might honor you more in our lives. So help us uh, this morning, we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Our emphasis today in the book of Job, this is, this is the second se- uh, sermon in our series, the emphasis is going to be on friends, Job's friends. I'm not sure what you, uh, what you think of when you think of friends. I think for many middle-aged people like me, uh, you think of this TV show that was very popular, uh, speaking about friendship. And of course, uh, in the very famous uh, title song of this show, there were lines like, I'll be there for you when the rain starts to pour. I'll be there for you uh, like I've been there before. And there's some sense in our, in our society, uh, in our popular culture, that the mark of a true friend is to be there when things start to go wrong. To be there when the rain starts to pour. To be there when things are not going well. I wonder how good are your friends? I've had a very positive experience this week uh, as Kirsty unexpectedly went into hospital. Many offers uh, of help and support. Uh, And so I I would say my friends have been very good. We thought last week uh, from the the parable of the Good Samaritan of what it, it meant to be a good neighbor, of really to love and to serve someone when they were hurt and in trouble. I wonder if your friends are good at looking after you in a time of hardship, in a time of trouble. Well, of course, Job was in a very difficult situation. He was suffering immensely. And uh, we're going to look at how did his friends do in this case. And it's not really a a spoiler to tell you that they didn't do a very good job. Uh, The title for today's sermon is Miserable Comforters. And that really is what Job's friends were, miserable in the way that they tried to support him. So we're going to look at three things together this morning. We're going to look first, who were Job's friends? Then look at what did Job's friends say? And then finally, look at what sort of friend did Job really need uh, at this time? And I'm going to give you three challenges that go along with each of those. So first of all, who are Job's friends? Let me just recap uh, for those who were not with us during the first sermon uh, that we had a couple of weeks ago. Job is a book in the Old Testament in the Bible. It's one of the five poetic wisdom books. Uh, You have Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Songs. And these are books that are all poetic in language that, that really try to teach us something about wisdom. I'm not sure if you're a fan of poetry uh, I really am not a fan of poetry. I find it very, uh, very difficult to understand. I think I can appreciate the beauty in the language, but I do find it difficult to understand. And that's true of Job as well. I think it's really hard to get a grasp on what, what is this poetic language saying to us. And so we're going to jump around a little bit in the book to try and uh, pick out some key verses today. Job is the the story of a man called Job who lived in the Middle East, lived in a place called Uz, and he probably lived around about the time of Abraham. Uh, And uh, we kind of know that from the the story because there's no mention of the nation of Israel. And Job also lived uh, for a very long time. So there's the suggestion this probably was before God shortened the lifespan of humans. And. There's been a lot of debate over the the centuries, is Job a real person or not? Is this a historical account or not? Job is mentioned by others in the Bible, by Ezekiel, by James, uh, and uh, yet other people have argued that maybe it's a parable. A lot of the writing seems to be more like a a parable, a made-up story that's trying to teach us something. Well, I don't think we need to get too hung up on whether or not this is historical or parable. I think we can agree that this is the inspired word of God and that there are important truths here that God would have us uh, learn from it. Job, we're told, is a righteous and blameless man. Uh, He's regarded in that way even by God, such that God allows his enemy, Satan, the devil, to test Job. Satan thinks that Job is only uh, trusting in God because God has made his life very nice, very comfortable. And yet God says, no, even if you were to make Job suffer, he would still be blameless and righteous uh, before me. Uh, And so Satan is allowed to bring this suffering onto Job. Uh, Job loses his property, his animals, his servants, uh, and he loses his family as well. His children die in a tragic accident. And all this in chapter 1 of the book. And then in chapter 2, Satan goes, is allowed to go even further. And he takes away Job's health and Job's comfort. And you can see in the picture here, a picture of Job with his skin all covered with uh, with boils and sores. Very uncomfortable. And yet, in spite of all of this intense suffering... Job holds up well. He still does not deny God. He does a good job. Who comes to comfort Job in this situation? Well, the first person that comes to comfort him is his wife. Uh, And I think I can take comfort in this passage in in chapter uh, 2 of the book, verses uh, 7 and 8. You can see uh, I think Job and his wife have even worse communication in their marriage than I have with my own wife. Uh, Job's wife comes along and says, just give up, <laughs> just give up, curse God, give in to sin, not great advice to give to your husband, okay? But Job doesn't do much better. Did you see there in, uh, in verse 8 of chapter 2, what does he say to his wife? You foolish woman, I, I wouldn't recommend anyone says that to their wife, okay? Especially not if your wife's uh, children have just died as well, very heartless, And so here, the initial uh, comfort that Job is getting is not good. So uh, the marriage seems to be in a lot of trouble. Uh, But what about Job's friends? Here in chapter 2, starting at uh, at verse 11, uh, sorry, the wife was in verses 9 and 10, and then, yeah, the friends appear in verse 11 of the passage. And we have these three guys, Eliaphas, Bildad, and Zophar, and they come to help Job and to be there for him in his time of suffering. And I have to say, they get off to a good start. If chapter 2 was all that we had, I think it's a pretty good model of how to be a friend to those in time of need. Do you see what they do in uh, verses 11 to 13? The first thing that they do is they, they physically go the distance. They, they travel to where Job is. The places that these people are from are scattered throughout Arabia and what would become the region of Edom. uh, And they're willing to go to where their friend is to be with him. They're organized. This is not just something they do as an individual to go and help their friends. They get the other friends together. They say, hey, let's go together. Let's uh, make this plan for how to be there for Job. And so they go as a team. And they go to sympathize with him in his suffering. Again, I think if you spoke to my wife, she would say, when I sympathize with her, I do it so deeply that she can't tell that I'm sympathizing with her struggles. Uh, and yet that's not the case with Job's friends. Here you can see they're, they're physically, outwardly, expressing their sympathy with Job. They're weeping aloud, they're tearing their robes, they're sprinkling dust on their heads. Job can be in no doubt that these men care deeply for him, that they're concerned about him, that they are with him in his suffering. And then they do perhaps what is, is the best thing of all. Uh, I think two weeks ago, he mentioned uh, how important it is in Hong Kong that, that we we uh, value time. And what do these people do? Not only do they go to visit Job, but they stay with him for a week, uh, more than a week. And... They don't actually say anything at first. They don't do anything. They just sit with him. They be with him. Again, sometimes when people are suffering, that's really what they need. They don't need clever words. They don't need us to do a lot of things for them. They just need us to be with them. And so I I think here Job's friends in chapter 2 set a really good example uh, of what we can do for people who are suffering. And so that is my first challenge for you this morning. Who at this time really needs you to be that sort of friend to them? Do you know of people at this time who are struggling? People who are going through hardship? People who are not finding life easy at the moment? Maybe God is asking you to go the distance. Maybe God is asking you to give of your time and energy to go and to be with them. Unfortunately... Job's friends do not continue in this good start. Uh, Soon they start to open their mouths, and that's usually when things go wrong. Uh, And so, if we look at the structure of the book of Job, we can see what happens. They start to get into this dialogue, this back and forth with uh, with Job. Job speaks in chapter 3, and then we have this cycle whereby Eliaphas speaks, chapters 4 and 5. Job replies. Bildad speaks, chapter 8, Job replies. Zophar speaks, chapter 11, Job replies. Uh, And then that cycle is repeated exactly the same again in chapters 15 to 21. Uh, Friend speaks, Job replies, and so on. And then again, a third time in chapters 22 through 27, uh, except this time uh, Zophar, for some reason, doesn't speak. But you get this idea as a back and forth. We're going to just look at some uh, verses uh, from the first cycle, the first 14 chapters today. We'll jump around a bit, but it is really characteristic of the friend's message all through this book of Job. So what were they actually saying? What were they saying? Well, I think Job's friends start to make the same mistake that men have been making for centuries, that is that, having uh, started so well just to be there, just to listen, be with their friends, they they want to start to understand what is job 's problem, and then they want to identify a solution to that problem i don 't know if this is sounding familiar to any of the women who are listening uh, today. <laughs> I think often uh, often uh, My wife tells me when she is upset, she just wants me to be there, to listen, to understand, to sympathize. And yet I think the way I I, I think, I want to know why is she having a hard time? And what can I do about it? How can I fix her? (laughs) Uh, And that's what Job's friends are trying to do here. They want to know what is the problem and what is the solution. And having figured out what they think that is, they communicate it to Job so what do they think Job's problem is? Well, to put it simply, they think that Job's suffering is because of specific sin in his life. Job has sinned, he has offended God, and so therefore this suffering has come upon him. We see that uh, chapter five, oh, sorry, chapter four, uh, verse eight chapter 4, verse 8, Eliathus uh, appeals to his personal experience. What has he personally observed? As I have observed, those who plow evil and those who sow trouble reap it. So here his friend Eliathus is implying, I have seen bad things happen to bad people. So therefore, Job, you must have done something bad in order for you to be suffering chapter 8, let's see what Bildad says. Bildad uh, appeals to tradition. He looks back and he says, what have people said about this topic in the past? Uh, Chapter 8, verse 8, ask the former generation and find out what our ancestors learned. And then if you jump down to verse 11, it says, can papyrus grow tall where there is no marsh? Can reeds thrive without water? Uh, while still growing and uncut, they wither more quickly than grass. Such is the destiny of all who forget God. So perishes the hope of the godless. You hear the implication here. You're, you're withering here. Uh, you're not like healthy grass, Job. You're, you're wilting, you're withering, you're perishing. Uh, so therefore, you must be like those who forget God. You must be like a godless person. Eliaphas and Bildad, they've been fairly subtle here, just implying that Job may have been sinful, that he may be to blame himself for his suffering. I have to say their third friend, Zophar, he is the most blunt and direct uh, of anyone. I definitely don't want Zophar coming to me when I'm uh, struggling and suffering. See what he says in chapter 11, uh, verse 2. Are these words to go unanswered? Is this talker to be vindicated? Will your idle talk reduce others to silence? Will nobody rebuke you when you mock? You say to God, my beliefs are flawless and I am pure in your sight. Oh, how I wish that God would speak, that he would open his lips against you. Zophar has a very strong belief. If God was to come here right now, he would condemn you. He would say, Job, this is your fault. You have sinned. You need to be punished. Now, Job disagrees with this diagnosis. His friends are saying Job must have been sinful. They're accusing him. They're pointing the finger at him. Uh, and yet Job says, even though th- there is a sense in which he is generally sinful, he does not, he does not uh, deny that. There are several places in the book where he acknowledges we, we as humans are generally unclean. We're generally sinful. We're unworthy to come before God in his holiness, But he he says to his friends, you're wrong in saying that this suffering is the result of specific sin. Actually, I have been faithful in my relationship with God. I have tried to honor him. I've tried to know him better. I've not intentionally disobeyed him. Uh, And we saw that in uh, some of the verses we read earlier, what Job said in chapter 6, verses 8 to 10 where he, he said, I would still have this consolation, my joy and unrelenting pain, that I had not denied the words of the Holy One. I, he says, I've not denied God. I've not done anything that is, is wrong here. But his friends insist, you have sinned. Your suffering is a result of your sin. And having diagnosed it in that way, they say, here is the solution for your problem. Job's friends have a very interesting view of God, and we'll come back to this in a little bit. They view him as very distant, as very unknowable. Do you see what uh, Zophar said in chapter 11? Uh, Chapter 11, verses uh, 7 and 8. These are the verses that are printed on our church bulletin uh, this week. Can you fathom the mysteries of God? Can you probe the limits of the Almighty? They are higher than the heavens above. What can you do? They are deeper than the depths below. What can you know? These are rhetorical questions. Uh, Zophar is is saying there's nothing you can do. God is is distant. God is is out there somewhere. Uh, Yes, we trust he's just. We trust he's he's good. But you can't can't engage with God in any way. You just need to accept your lot uh, and repent of any sin that you have. And so we see in, uh, in verses like chapter 5, verse 17, it says, Blessed is the one whom God corrects, so do not despise the discipline of the Almighty. Chapter 5, verse 17, blessed is the one whom God corrects, so do not despise the discipline of the Almighty. Uh, just accept your suffering. God is putting you through this. There's nothing you can do about it. Just, just accept it. The only thing that you can do is repent of that sin in your life. Chapter 11, verse 13. If you devote your heart to God, if you stretch out your hands to him, if you put away the sin that is in your hand and allow no evil to dwell in your tent, then, free of fault, you can lift up your face. This is the only solution that Job's friends are able to give to him. You have some sin in your life that has caused this suffering, just accept your suffering and put away your sin. Get rid of whatever it is that you are doing that has led to this. Not very comforting words to Job. Job not only disagrees with their diagnosis of his problem, but he also disagrees with their proposed solution because he doesn't think that he's been unfaithful to God. What he wants to do is to talk to God. He wants to talk to God about the situation that he's going through. Uh, Chapter 13, verse 3. Chapter 13, verse 3. I desire to speak to the Almighty and to argue my case with God. Or chapter 10, verse 2. I say to God, do not declare me guilty, but tell me what charges you have against me. Job wants to talk to God. He wants to go to God and, and ask God, why is this happening to me? I don't think that I've, I've sinned against you or failed you in a specific way. Why is this happening to me? Uh, please, can, can you rescue me from this situation that I am in? So we have these two viewpoints, Job's friends that say he's sinned and needs to repent, and Job himself, who wants to talk to God, uh, who wants to argue his case with God. Well, who is, who is right in this situation? are Job's friends right? We, we know that Job's friends are not right. Even in chapter one of this book, we have an explanation of why Job is suffering. It's not because he is sinful, but it was because he was blameless in the eyes of God that he is being tested in this way. And at the end of the book in chapter 42, God has very harsh words for Eliaphas, Bildad, and Zophar. He says to them, you have not spoken uh, of my servant Job what was right. So God himself comes and tells them, this is not a right way of thinking. Of course, this agrees with a lot of what we know from the rest of the scripture. Think of passages like John chapter 9, where Jesus is asked about a man who was born blind. And he's asked, why is this man blind? Is it because his parents sinned or because he sinned? And uh, you can see there the same thinking uh, as as Job's friends had. If if something is wrong, if someone is suffering, it must be because of sin. And yet Jesus in that situation affirms, no, it's not to do with uh, any sin. It's because God wants to work in this person's life. He wants his glory to be displayed in this person's situation. So we know that uh, that uh, Job's friends are wrong in the way that they accuse him. And so my second challenge to you this morning: Do we have any of this wrong thinking? Perhaps initially we we could just say no, we don't think like that. But really deep down, what do we think when we get a bad medical diagnosis? What do we think when our washing machine breaks? What do we think when our flights are canceled? Is there a part of us that thinks, this has happened because I I did something recently, because I didn't didn't please God. God is upset with me because I failed him in this or because I sinned against him in that. Uh, Or when someone else is going through a bad time, is there something in us that thinks, yeah, they actually deserve this in some way. They brought this on themselves through their own bad choices. And so this is God judging them for that. Now, it may be that we do have sin in our lives that we need to repent of, and it may be that other people do as well. But what the Bible would teach us this morning is that it's not a matter of simple cause and effect. Sometimes we can go through the most traumatic experiences, the hardest suffering, uh, and it's nothing to do with sin at all. Uh, It's could be for some other reason. Uh, and so, yeah, do you need to, to challenge your thinking this morning and remind yourself that actually, yeah, it's not, it's not uh, sin that leads to suffering. That's much too simple and wrong an explanation. Well, finally this morning, Job's friends were not uh, very good. What sort of friends does job really need what sort of a friend does Job need to come alongside him in this situation? Well, I think we have already hinted at it uh, in some of the things that we 've said. Job knows that the answer to his problems lie in the Lord God himself. job is very interesting as, as a book has a uh, an interesting way in which it uses the name of God. And it's not easily apparent in our English version of the Bible because uh, we, we tend to just translate everything as God. But if you were to look at the Hebrew language that this uh, book was originally written in, you'd see that all throughout the book, there are different names being used for God. And some of the uh, the words or names that are used by Job's friends are very general in nature. Probably the most general is uh, the way in which Bildad in chapter 8 and other chapters speaks about God. He just calls God El. And El is a very, uh, a very secular, generic phrase for God. It's kind of that God out there. It's not very specific. And that, that aligns with Job's friend's view of God very much. You know, the places that they came from, as we said, were scattered throughout Arabia. These are Gentile places, places where people went uh, who do not know God very well. Uh, And so here, Bildad and the other friends, they have a distant view of God. And yet Job calls God by a name that nobody else in the book of Job uses. Job calls God on many occasions in this book, Yahweh. Yahweh, that revealed name of God that God later on would tell to Moses when Moses asks, who am I? And God says, uh, my name is Yahweh. I am what I am. You see, Job knows God as a personal, relational, covenantal God. Not a distant God out there who, who is disinterested in our suffering, but he knows God as a personal God who is interested A God that we can call on, that we can speak to, that we can cry out to in our time of need. Job knows that his his situation is not something that he can get out of himself. It's not something that he can just simply pray a prayer of repentance and then it's fixed. He needs some outside help. He needs someone to reach down and lift him up from his suffering. How can we how can we relate to God? Job, Job knows, yes, God is a relational God, but Job is also aware of his unworthiness to come before God because of that, that general sinfulness. Look at uh, chapter 9 of Job and see what he says. Chapter 9 of Job, verse 32. God is not a mere mortal like me that I might answer him, that we might confront each other in courts. If only there were someone to mediate between us, someone to bring us together, someone to remove God's rod from me so that his terror would frighten me no more. Job is, is a little bit confused. He knows that God is a personal God. He knows that he can come and talk to God, but he's also aware that there is something of a gap between himself and God. Uh, in this world, in, in all of its sinfulness, in all of its squalor, he knows that, yeah, how can, he, how can he know this God better? How can he come to this God? And in chapter 9, we have the first of many references in Job that point us forward to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm sure we'll come back to many of these passages in the coming weeks. Job recognizes the need for a mediator, someone who can, can really bridge and strengthen that relationship between the personal God and himself. Uh, and so here, he is, he's looking forward to that, that friend that we ultimately need. Job's friends were, were unable to do anything to help him in his situation, just to bring harsh and unkind, accusing words. He knows that he needs God's help. Uh, and ultimately, God is the one who helps Job, who helps us uh, in our needfulness. God is not a distant God, as Job's friends thought. God is a God who in the person of Jesus Christ entered into this world, came here in all of the dirt, in all of the squalor. He's not a God who is unfamiliar with suffering. Who cannot understand what Job is going for? Because God Himself, in the person of Jesus, knows what it is to be tired. He knows what it is to be hungry. He knows what it is to be hurt, to have bad friends. He knows what it is to be rejected, to be mocked, to be beaten. He knows what it is to face death. We have a God who is not only able to sympathize with us in our weaknesses, as Job's friends tried to do with him, but we have a God who truly can empathize with us in our situation of need because he is a God who has come into this world to, to reconcile ourselves to him. It's not just that God empathizes with us in our suffering. In the person of Jesus coming into this world and living life in dying, and then ultimately being raised uh, to life again. What God has done is he has opened up a way for those who are broken, those who are suffering, those who are in trouble, to be restored with that personal God that loves us uh, and is uh, concerned about us. And this is true for Job. We, we know, I don't think it's too much of a spoiler to say at the end of the book Job is restored. His suffering comes to an end. And that's true as well for those that trust in the Lord Jesus. God will restore all things, not just at an individual level, but because of his work uh, in the Lord Jesus. He will restore this world into a new creation where there is no more suffering, no more hurt, no more anguish, no more loss or despair. That, that is the sort of friend we really need the Lord Jesus, who can not only identify with us in our suffering, but who can also rescue us from it uh, and bring us into a place where we never need to face such difficulty again. And what a friend we have in Jesus. My, my challenge to you, my final challenge to you this morning is, do you know this, this friend? Maybe your view of God is a little bit like those, those friends, that he's a distant God, that he's not interested in you or in your situation, maybe even that he's capricious and that he causes or, or lets you suffer. And yet that is not the God that we believe in. The God we believe in is, is a God who is intimately concerned and interested in each person. He wants to know you. He is concerned about the things that you're struggling with, and he has come into this world in the person of Jesus to rescue you and to restore you. Uh, And so, if you do not know this truth, I really would encourage you. Cry out to Him in your needs. Ask your Christian friends, uh, ask Pastor Hewu and others of the church, how is it that you can know this God better? He is a good friend, and He will not leave you in your suffering. He will not come to you accusing you of sin and unworthiness, but He will come to you gently and lovingly in your needs and in your despair. God is a rock that we can trust. Uh, and so let 's come to him in prayer just now, our Lord God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We thank you that you are not like job 's friends. Thank you that you do not come uh, accusing us of uh, of sin, that you do not uh, remain distant and unconcerned uh, of of our situation but i thank you that you love us i thank you that we can know you as that personal intimate god yahweh our creator but also our savior the one who can truly understand what we are going through because you yourself came into this world endured all of its struggles all of its problems uh, even to the point of death Thank you Lord that you empathize with us in our sufferings but thank you also that in the Lord Jesus you have opened up a way for this world to be put right that one day this world will be transformed into a new creation where there is no more sin no more death no more suffering no more pain no more anguish Lord until that day comes we ask that you would help us to be good friends to those around about us and we ask that you would help us to know you better as our true friend. Thank you for your faithfulness, and thank you for your teaching in this book to us this morning. Thank you for and in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.